Well, good morning. So if you're new here, our pastor's on sabbatical, as Kendall said earlier, but I'm Robert. I'm the youth minister here. And so we are walking through a sermon series called Fun Size, where we are walking through the shortest books of the Bible. Last week, we walked through the shortest book of the Old Testament, which was called Obadiah, where God is addressing a country called Edom, who were a bunch of wicked people who had made themselves their God. So because of their finances, because of their uh, physical position, they weren't able to be attacked. And then they had attacked Israel whenever they were most vulnerable. And so they were in a really good spot. So they thought that they didn't think that they needed God and God let them know otherwise. And so we talked about how we ourselves can be prideful and how we can have an ego, which as some people paraphrase it means edging God out and how we can edge God out of our lives. And so this week we're going to be in one of the smallest books of the New Testament, which is Philemon. So the easiest way to get to Philemon is just open at the very back of your Bible to Revelation and then keep turning backwards. And when you find Hebrews, it'll be right before Hebrews. It probably only takes one page in your Bible. But so these two books were not written anywhere near each other and were not written to go in conjunction together intentionally. However, I think they work together really well. So while we see these people who felt that they didn't need God, it shows us that we, in fact, do. That we cannot do things on our own, and we need God in our lives, which is going to play in to the actions that we see in the book of Philemon. So a few weeks ago, we had Super Bowl Sunday, and John introduced his sermon by talking about the Super Bowl and how his favorite part of the Super Bowl is trying to figure out how each team is going to win. You know, what what teams need to do on defense and what the offense needs to do to overcome that defense, so on and so forth. But my favorite time of the year is just around the corner, starting this Friday, this thing called March Madness. If you've never heard of March Madness, it is the most wonderful time of the year. The Christmas song is wrong. It is March Madness. That's the most wonderful time of the year. And it is a college basketball tournament of 64 teams going head-to-head until one champion is finally crowned. It starts, basketball starts at 9.45 a.m. Friday morning and doesn't end until midnight that night. There's 48 basketball games in four days. It's magnificent. It's the best time of the year. And then when it ends, the NBA playoffs start two weeks later. So it's just nonstop basketball for the next three months. It's fantastic. But the funnest part of March Madness is exactly why they call it madness, is you never know what's going to happen. There's a team that you've never heard of all the way up in South Dakota that beats the team that's been around for years and years that's always really good. There's always lots of upsets and expectations that are broken. There's what we call the Cinderella teams who come out of nowhere and are everybody's favorite, the big underdog hero story. And expectations are broken. What everybody expects to happen never actually happens. So we kind of see this in the book of Philemon. So go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. And we see a series of expectations that are broken. So we're just going to watch this book unfold as we go through it. So Paul starts by breaking the expectation of his letters. Paul breaks the expectation of his letters. So usually whenever we read a letter written by Paul, it's to a church as a whole. And he usually gives a a greeting and then a thanksgiving and then goes straight into, here's what you need to be doing. 
you've been doing this wrong, so let's correct it, and then let's do this instead. And then even some of the more personal books, which he writes to individuals, such as First and Second Timothy and Titus, he comes across as that of like a mentor or a leader. However, he kind of breaks this expectation in Philemon, as we're going to see. So read verses 1 through 3 with me. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So this is pretty standard so far. This is a very typical greeting of Paul. However, there's two things that stand out. One, we see that Paul is in prison at this time. So this is one of the four what we call prison epistles, which are Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. This is the books that Paul wrote whenever he was most likely imprisoned in Rome. And then second, we see that Philemon, the person Philemon, hosts the church in his home, which we know from the book of Colossians to be the church at Colossae. So Philemon is a leader in this church and hosts the church at his home. This is before we had church buildings and all that good stuff. People met in other people's homes. So he's a leader in this church, which kind of sets up what we're going to see in the rest of the book. Paul then goes into a pretty standard Thanksgiving where he thanks Philemon for his love and faithfulness, but then things take a little bit of a turn starting in verse 7. So read verses 7 through the first part of verse 9 with me. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. So rather than commanding Philemon to do something, Paul is appealing to him out of love. It's a little different than what we normally see. Books like Galatians or 1 Corinthians, Paul immediately comes out and starts giving commands under what we call apostolic authority, the authority that Christ gave him to lead and correct churches. So this sets up the entirety of the letter as Paul is going to make a big request for the day. So rather than commanding, he's going to make a request and is setting this up that he's going to do so out of love. So Paul is requesting that, he, that Philemon corrects something in his life. But before we get to that request, I want to look at how Paul is doing this. He's modeling for us what community should look like. We're called to correct our brothers and sisters in Christ. It talks about that in 1 Corinthians 5, Galatians 6, that we are called to lovingly admonish our brothers and sisters in Christ. However, this has to come from a place of love. This can't come from a place of judgment or self-righteousness. It has to come from love. And Paul is making it very clear at the very beginning in the introduction that Philemon is a, quote, dear friend. So he's going to treat him as such. He's not treating him like a student or a child. He's treating him as a dear friend. So he's basically saying, hey, I have something I want to talk about. Let's just talk about it man to man, and let's get this figured out. So, like I said, this is different from what we normally see of Paul in his letters. He's usually coming across saying, hey, this is what we have to be doing. Rather, he's making an appeal. I kind of think of it like the first time maybe you see your boss outside of work, and they're a completely different person at work than they are at the restaurant that you go to, or something of that sort, where 
You know, they're all business at work, and then as soon as you get them out of the office, they're your best friend all of a sudden. So as we'll see later in the letter, Paul is using a lot of rhetoric and moral tact in order to help Philemon make the right decision. That's what this whole book is doing, is Paul is making this plea to help Philemon make the right decision. So Paul is breaking the expectation in order to help Philemon make the right decision. So now, as Paul moves into his request, he's going to break more expectations as he breaks the expectations of societal norms. Paul's going to break the expectations of societal norms. So read verse 9b, so the second part of 9 through 14 with me. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be done out of obligation, but out of your own free will. So Onesimus was a slave of Philemon, and for some reason, we don't know exactly why, Philemon had run away. The primary theory is that, Philemon, or that Onesimus had wronged Philemon in some sort, and so he was fleeing in order to escape punishment. But for whatever reason, in his fleeing, he, fleeing, he came across Paul, who led him to Christ, which is what Paul means by, I became his father. So now, even though Onesimus is a servant of God and is very helpful to Paul in his ministry in furthering the kingdom of God, he is sending him back to Philemon and making the request that Philemon no longer sees him as a slave, but frees him and sees him as a brother in Christ, as a co-laborer for God's kingdom. Now, this is shattering the societal norm, breaking the expectation in, in a couple of different ways. For one, in the ancient world, slavery was very, very ingrained into the culture to the point that it wasn't a question of whether or not it was right or wrong to have a slave. It was a question as to whether or not it was right or wrong to treat them well or to treat them poorly. So slavery ran rampant. And so rather than saying Paul coming out and going completely against slavery, he's saying, hey, free this one slave. But that doesn't really make sense in our minds. That's breaking our societal norm because we would expect Paul to use this apostolic authority that he has to get rid of slavery altogether. But there's a few things that we need to point out about this issue of slavery for this to make any sense. One, whenever we think of slavery, we immediately think of race, as we should. However, in this day and age, it had nothing to do with race. It wasn't a race issue, it was a class issue. So a lot of people who were poor would actually turn to slavery because they were insured to have food and shelter, or people were just born into it. So it was oftentimes, secondly, in people's best interest to become or remain a slave. If somebody went bankrupt, then they would turn to slavery because they were insured food and shelter. And a lot of times, if a slave was freed, it freed them basically to go be homeless. It didn't free them to go and excel in society. That's not how their class system worked. 
If they were once a slave, they weren't going to be able to work themselves up. They were just going to go, and they were going to continue to be poor. And lastly, treating slaves fairly was within the best interests of the slaveholders. So this is a much more humane system than what we think of of slavery. However, that does not mean that Paul is for slavery, and it also doesn't mean that at any point it is within God's view of creation for a human to, quote, own another human. That should never be socially acceptable. But the reason Paul is not bringing the hammer down with this apostolic authority on this issue of slavery is because he is showing the kind of grace and mercy that he is wanting Philemon to show Onesimus. He's exercising this grace. He's exercising this mercy. So he is breaking this expectation, this societal norm, so that he can show grace and mercy to Philemon. Now, there's a part of Christian history that's very messy, um, that is not fun to talk about or read about, and that is what was called the Slave Bible. And so the Slave Bible was quite literally, it said in the title, which I won't say the whole title in church, it's not good, but the whole title says, Parts of the Holy Scripture Intended for Slaves. And so unfortunately, this slave Bible was created by missionaries in the West Indies in which they redacted portions of the Bible that would give slaves any hope of freedom, whether earthly freedom or freedom in Christ. And they said it was to prevent inciting a rebellion among slaves. And so, for example, it cuts off at Genesis 45, where Joseph goes from being a slave to becoming royalty and then doesn't pick back up until Exodus 19. So it cuts out the entire part of Israel being freed out of slavery in Egypt. But it highlights verses in Colossians and Ephesians that talk about slaves obeying their masters. It omits verses like Galatians 3.28, that there's no longer slave nor freed under Christ, but we are all under the blood of Christ. And so naturally, this entire book of Philemon was taken out completely. Because why in the world would we want these people to have even the glimpse of hope of being freed, of somebody pleading for them to be freed? However, I think the people who came up with this idea of the slave Bible either didn't read this book or missed it completely. Because this entire point is that Paul is showing grace and mercy so that Philemon will show grace and mercy to Onesimus, rather than trying to abolish this deeply ingrained issue as a whole, he's taking away chunk by chunk. Maybe he sees this issue with Onesimus, and that softens his heart to where he continues this path of going down with other slaves, because it was a very, very common thing for people of any wealth at all to own slaves. So when Jesus came down to us on earth, he demonstrated for us what grace, justice, peace, and mercy are. And we cannot know as such without God. So Paul is saying to show the same grace, mercy, and justice that has been shown to us. Regardless of what the societal norms are, go against it so that we can do grace, mercy, love, and justice. Can we all agree that those are four things that we don't have enough of in this world? That we don't have enough grace, mercy, love, 
and justice. Maybe sometimes we talk too much and think too much about what is right or wrong theologically, when in reality we should just be doing grace, mercy, love, and justice. Or maybe what is wrong is so deeply ingrained in our society that we don't even stop and think about how this is a way that we can do grace, mercy, love, and justice. But then Paul demonstrates this beyond his words, beyond his rhetoric, to an even greater way as he goes on to verses 17 and 18 in which he breaks the expectations by demonstrating the gospel. So he had broken the expectations of societal norms in order to show grace and mercy, but now he is breaking the expectations by demonstrating the gospel. So read verses 17 and 18 with me. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. This is Paul telling Philemon to welcome Onesimus as he would welcome him, the one who planted and led this church in Colossae. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Let's read that again, verse 18. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So let's get this straight. Paul, as a friend of Philemon, is urging him as a brother in Christ to do what is right. But if Philemon can't get to the point of completely letting go what Onesimus has done to him, Paul is willing to take his punishment. This could be having to pay a fine. This could be serving prison time. This could be a physical punishment. Who knows? But Paul is willing to take this on for Onesimus so that Onesimus can continue in the kingdom work of furthering God's kingdom. Does this sound familiar of an innocent person stepping in to take another person's punishment? It's almost like Paul is willing to take an undeserved punishment like Christ did for us. Paul doesn't have to take this punishment. Believe me, you can read 2 Corinthians 11 and see that he had been through plenty just like Paul does not have to take this punishment, God did not have to send his only son for us. And Christ did not have to die for us. But this is an outpouring of God's love that he wanted us to be reunited with him and spend an eternity with him as brothers and sisters in Christ, once again united with God. So last week we talked about edging God out, but this week, as you can see, you cannot make yourself your God and have this kind of action, because the world doesn't know grace, mercy, love, and justice. All those things come from God. God is love. God is grace. Grace doesn't make sense to us. That's why this is breaking an expectation, because who would think, oh, I, an innocent person, I'm going to take the punishment that somebody else deserves. God is grace. God is mercy. God is love. So if we're not walking with him, how are we going to show any of those things? So Paul is saying, hey, I'm your friend. Let's do this. Let's walk with Christ in this way by showing this love and grace. Whenever I was little, this was one of my favorite things that I did growing up. Every Saturday, 
my dad and I would go get breakfast. And a lot of times, my two grandfathers would join us. And so we would go different places. Uh, sometimes we went to Waffle House. Sometimes we would just go get a donut. Our favorite place was this restaurant called Calico County. Calico County does this brilliant thing where instead of bringing rolls, they bring cinnamon rolls with your breakfasts. Very good. Highly recommend if you're ever in Amarillo. Go get some cinnamon rolls from Calico County. Anyways, but so there was one time my grandfather was in town, so all four of us were going to get breakfast. And my dad and I were in the car on the way there, and he tells me, hey, help me get the check so that I can pay for breakfast. I'm like, okay, sure, I'll, I'll help. And then from the time I get out of the car to the time I walk in the door, both of my grandfathers got me and said, hey, help me get the check so I can pay for breakfast. So I'm already confused at this point. I'm not entirely sure who it is I'm supposed to be helping or why I would help them with this, why they would want to pay for breakfast. So I get my pancakes, I get my bacon, I'm satisfied, and I have completely forgotten about helping anybody get the check at this point because I'm full on pancakes and bacon. But all three of them had also told the server to give them the check somewhere throughout the course of the meal. So then the server comes and just kind of drops the check in the middle of the table, and I think she ran away. I don't blame her. But simultaneously, all three of them just smack the table on top of the check, and their hands are just piled up, and sit there like that for probably two or three minutes, arguing over who is going to pay for the food. And I'm sitting there, I'm probably 10 or 11, and in my 10 or 11-year-old mind, I'm thinking, why don't they just take the free food? Well, like, like, trust me, I've always taken free food. I still take free food. If you offer me food, I'm going to take it. But it didn't compute in my brain why my dad and my grandfathers would want to pay for somebody else's food. Just take the free food. You don't have to pay for it. They're offering to pay for it. But while that's a funny story, and it's small in comparison, genuinely, these are three of the godliest people that I know and have been tremendous examples for me in my walk with Christ. And while that's small in comparison to what Paul is talking about, this is still how these people were showing love to one another, that they wanted to pay for something for somebody else. So hopefully Philemon adhered to Paul's request to free Onesimus. We don't know for sure. We can hope. There's a great theory that he did. There's a writing from an early church father that talks about the bishop of Ephesus named Onesimus. And everything time-wise would line up for this to be the same Onesimus who went from being a slave to coming to know Christ to being the bishop of this great city. So if Philemon didn't do as such, then I think he had a lot to answer for whenever he died as somebody claiming to know Christ but didn't value Onesimus as a brother in Christ but merely as a slave and ignored Paul's command. But I think what Paul is doing in this entire book of showing grace and mercy is something that we can do every day. There's a saying, we don't know exactly who said it, but share the gospel all the time and use words when you have to. And so what that saying is, share the gospel with your actions and then explicitly state the gospel when you need to. Some people don't like that that's okay. I personally am a big fan of it, and I think that's what Paul is doing right here. Is, hey, how are you going to listen to my words if I am not going to display God's love and grace 
with my actions. How can we show God's love and grace with our actions day in and day out? How can we break the expectations to love a brother or sister in Christ that needs help making a right decision? Or how can we break the expectations of our society to do grace, love, mercy, justice? How can we break the expectation of the world and demonstrate the gospel and God's grace with our lives? There's not enough grace in the world. We can all agree on that. So let's show it with our lives and demonstrate what God has done for us, for everybody that we encounter. Let's pray.